1: A welcome to fresh take from what fresh hell laughing in the face of motherhood. This is Margaret and this is Amy and today we're talking to Kate Anthony She is the host of the critically acclaimed and New York Times recommended podcast the divorce survival guide podcast and she's the creator of the groundbreaking online coaching program Should I stay or should I go which helps women make the most difficult decision of their lives using coaching tools relationship education geeky neuroscience. I'm here for that. Oh, Amy's so here for that. (laughs) Community support. We're both here for that. And deep self-work. Kate and her
0: son live in Los Angeles. Welcome, Kate. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. We're so happy to have you. One of the things we try to do with our Fresh Takes is Amy and I have Some a lot of overlap in our parenting. And one of the things is that we are both married still. I mean, we're not having the best month. So check with me (laughs) later. But so far, so good. Pandemic aside. I've seen you guys together. You guys are good. You guys are good. We're hanging by a thread some days, but we do have a lot of listeners and a lot of people who participate in our parenting community who have survived or in the middle of surviving divorce. So really excited to talk to you today and get your perspective. So tell us a little bit about what brought you to this work, I'm going to assume it started with a divorce. Part of what brought me to this
2: was my own, not just the divorce, but the years leading up to the divorce, the questioning my sanity, the questioning, should I stay or should I go? The looking for a burning bush, who was going to tell me what to do? Mm. You know, I was started asking a lot of people, like, at what point do you pull the plug? How do you know when you've done enough work? How do you know if all the work you're doing is actually working? There were no answers back when I was going through this, which was like 13 years ago there was just wasn't that much information out there. And then when we got divorced, we had a really, really volatile marriage. And but we ended up having a really great divorce. And so I became the go to person, like, how did you do that? How did you end up having a good divorce with him? You know, and so I started helping people doing it. And then I was like, okay, I need to like, actually get like trained and certified in how to do this. I went through something and I want to help other people do it. Let me figure out the best way and the right way to do that. And it evolved over time. Initially, I was really, trying to help people have harmonious, happy divorces like mine. And over time, that is not what I do necessarily. Although if it's appropriate, I absolutely do. And really the should I stay or should I go aspect of it has been the biggest thing that I do is helping
1: women make that decision. So, Kate, my first question about women who go through this, should I stay or should I go is if you're having those questions, is that a sign? Is that a problem if you have to do work in the first place? If you have to do this discernment process in the first place, is that a sign you probably should go? Or is that something that more women maybe go through than we talk about?
2: Oh, that's a great way of phrasing that. Yes, I do think that more women go through this, the questioning than we talk about and people in healthy, happy marriages don't necessarily, you know, are not up at three o'clock in the morning Googling, should I stay or should I go? Like we talked about at the beginning, Margaret was saying that she's like, you know, it's a bad week, right? Like we all have that and there are systemic issues in relationships. And that's one of the things that I do in my work and in my program is help women pull apart the systemic issues that, look, in every marriage, just about, unless you're married to a complete unicorn, in every marriage, you're probably going to have an unequal division of labor. You're going to have women bearing the emotional and mental labor in the relationship. Now, does that mean you're being emotionally abused, does that mean that it can't change? Does that mean that you have to should leave? Not necessarily, right? And so we do need to understand those dynamics that are just inherent in being in a cis hetero relationship under a patriarchy, right mm-hmm. during a pandemic and a pandemic, <laughs> right? The divorce rate spiked like thirty five percent in the beginning of the pandemic because people were, increasingly aware and sort of, you know, drowning in issues that maybe they were able to skirt for a long time. But when they're now it's like, you know, up close and personal,
0: they couldn't avoid what was actually happening everybody has had the question of is this going to work like everyone has had maybe not everybody I certainly have had low moments in my marriage where I was like is this how I want to spend the next 50 years of my life but I think you're right that the question is not do you ever have the question is it a constant 3am question like yes it's you kind of know it when you feel it I guess but I think it is a really interesting question for people
2: yeah, no, I think that's right. It's it
0: pervasive? Pervasive is a good word for it.
2: Are Do you spend most of your time going, is this the person that I want to like ride off into the sunset with? One of my best friends, you know, their marriage is, you know, it's got problems, it's got issues, it's got core things that are missing, but at the end of the day, they're best friends. And she's like, I don't want to ride off into the sunset with anybody else. Mm. He's my person. And when our kids are grown, he's the person that I want to hang out with.
0: yeah. And I think also there are seasons of marriage. I know people who've done really well in the like baby stage wasn't a great stage for my marriage. My husband and I feel like we're doing much better now that the kids are out of the house and our routine is more settled. And Mm -hmm. then I know people who like the minute the kids leave the house, they get divorced. My guess is that the people who
2: once the kids are out of the house, they get divorced. They were pretty much holding on. (laughs) Right.
1: Right. They were probably like, let's just wait till the kids get out. Can we talk about that? That's definitely an idea, right, that you need to stay together for the sake of the kids. Or at least I guess I would say that he's not the most romantic and I have to do all the cleaning up around here. Is that enough to upend my you know, kids relationship for or to at least hang on until the kids leave and then get divorced? Is that as important a linchpin as you think women make it?
2: Yeah, it's actually really important. Look, the bottom line is, what are you modeling to your kids? If you're in a relationship where there's an imbalance of power and you're, you know, or imbalance of labor and things like that, and you can actually have a conversation, right? You know, they say in relationship work and Gottman, it's not the fight, it's the repair, right? That's what determines things. So if you're having an issue in your marriage and you can go to your spouse and say, hey, listen, I'm really feeling overwhelmed by all of the work that I'm doing. And if they blow you off and they don't listen to you and they don't respect your needs and they're not hearing you, that's a deeper problem. That's a much deeper problem. If they're like, oh, I don't want you to feel that way because
0: I love you. What can I do? But they're still unskilled. That's good news, (laughs) right? Mm, That seems really smart, that divide between like they're missing the skills or they're missing the desire to do it in the first place. Exactly. And
2: skills can be learned but Here's the deal: this division of you know mental and emotional labor and often physical labor that we do in the house, <laughs> it works for them.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like it really works for men, right? And so it's going to take a special kind of guy to go, oh, it works for me, but this doesn't work for my partner who I love and care about. I would like to do something to make that better for them. So in terms of staying for the kids, I mean, again, it's what are you modeling? So if you're modeling a relationship where one person says, "Hey, I'm not happy," and the other. Person Person goes, oh, no, let me help with that, then that's great. If you are modeling a relationship where one person says, I'm not happy, and the other person is disrespectful and blowing you off, the problem is your kids are more likely to choose that kind of relationship for themselves in the future and going forward. And most of us don't want that for our children. So if you look at your marriage and you say, would I want my children to be in this exact marriage or something similar? And the answer is, oh, my God, no. Then
0: you may want to look at that. Yeah, that's a headline
2: problem. Yeah. And then, you know, look, we have the more deeply toxic relationships that I work with a lot. I work with a lot of emotional abuse. It's far more pervasive than most of us really want to know about. And in that case, what I hear a lot is women saying, but if I leave then I don't get to kind of manage it and mitigate it. And, you know, unfortunately, that's a fallacy. So two separate homes where only one of them is safe and free of toxicity and a really safe place for them to land emotionally and physically is far better for children than one toxic home because you're not mitigating anything. You are actually, you're condoning it. You're participating in it. And, it's really important for your children to see you say, absolutely not. I will protect you by creating this safe space for you, even if you're only in it 50% of the time. Otherwise, they will. I mean, this is the, you know, the generational cycle of abuse, right? This is how this perpetuates and keeps going. So if you recognize this and you see it in the cycles in your family, in your family history, in the generations, you can
0: be the one to stop it, but it's going to take something. My mother was a family therapist, and she had a book lying around, and I read it long before I was ever married, and it was called What Children Learn From Their Parents' Marriages. Excellent book. And what it said is, your children learn exactly how to be married from your marriage. That's right. So if you're being disrespected, if there's constant toxicity or fighting, or even if there's just a huge... Division of labor that is completely inequitable, where the mom is always cooking and cleaning and putting her needs aside, and the dad is like, always, you know, time for the golf game and I got to go and I'm more important. Like that basically, you will in 25 years be at a wedding where your child is marrying that exact person. It's a very strong likelihood that will happen. And the other thing that may happen is that they
2: will go. I had a therapist, you say this the opposite of sick is sick, right? So when we try to do the complete opposite of what was done to us then we tend to go just as you know far in the other direction that's just as unhealthy
1: let's take a break when we come back i want to hear how we can take a contentious and volatile marriage that we might be in particularly if we're considering leaving it and turn it into a stellar divorce
0: Different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to Lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E,
1: Lumen.me, and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank
0: you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode.
1: All right, Kate, so you say it is possible for people who are trapped in really stressful day to day not getting along marriages to actually have uh, divorces that are amicable and that sounds nice how is that possible when somebody has made this decision this is what's going to be best hopefully mutually what's next the most important
2: thing the very first
1: thing that you want to do when you make a decision to get divorced is
2: to take some time to process the emotions of it. Because the first thing that we would do is like, oh, I got a lawyer up. I got to call a lawyer. I got to blah, 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 right? And that is not the first thing you should do. I'm not saying that's the last thing you should do, but it is certainly not the first thing you should do. Because what we tend to do is we're making the biggest legal and financial decisions of our entire lives in the middle of the biggest emotional upheaval of our entire lives. And it's a terrible combination that the family law system loves to get its claws into. The family law system is basically relies upon us to be angry and bitter. And for us to then like, you know, attorneys escalate and escalate and escalate and escalate. Right. And by the way, my family law attorney friends agree. <laughs> throwing anyone under the bus. So The first thing that we want to do is actually take the time and we can do this when we're, even if we're the only one, you know, I've had so many clients who have had their husbands just trying really hard to beat down the door of contentious litigation and they're just like, we're no, we're not doing that. At least one person needs to be the person that says we're not doing that. There is another way until, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin got divorced. All we saw were horrible, horrible, contentious divorces. They're still the only things that really hit the tabloids. Like Mm -hmm. nobody really talks about another happy day. Right. Right. Conscious uncoupling. Yes. Conscious uncoupling. And then when they made that a term and they made that go
1: mainstream, it was like, oh, wow. okay." So was that real? I never really thought about that. I mean, I remember that happening at the time being like, ha ha, conscious uncoupling. Yeah, right. Do you think that in their case, it actually was a successful? Yes. I mean, it never occurred to me that this is an option. It really is an option. It really is an option. And they, by all accounts, they have absolutely succeeded
2: in doing it. They have family dinners with their new partners. They've like completely been able to do it, as was I. You know, look, boundaries in divorce, Go on and on, like you're constantly reshaping and reforming, and being like, Oops, that was too close, let me back up, (laughs) you know, (laughs) or like, Oh, that feels a little too far away, let me inch forward a minute and see how that feels, right? That's a constant process. I've been divorced for 13 years, and that is still going on, but. Yes, it is absolutely possible. But at least one person kind of has to hold that as a possibility. Look, as far as I'm concerned, if you don't have kids, I don't care how you do your divorce. You want
0: to waste all your money. Stuff out the window on the lawn, scream and yell. Totally. Light it on fire. Go for it. Angela Bassett walking away from the car. Yep.
2: But if you have kids, that's what I care about. You know, everything I do is in protection of children because the kids end up being in the middle. Anything that goes to court is usually somewhere about kids, right? It somehow centers around whether it's support or custody, right? It's, and so if we put our kids at the center of every decision we make and we agree that we're going to do that it makes it entirely possible so when you say to your soon to be ex or whatever hey listen i get that you're angry but here's the deal we want to put our kids at the center of everything i know that you you're angry with me that's great your anger is not a place for us to make any of these
0: decisions so go process your anger come back to me in a month there's no rush i'm not in a rush If it's two fires coming into each other, it's a bigger fire. If it's a fire and a wall, like the fire will have nowhere to go eventually. Extending this metaphor a little bit, if it is a mutual decision, if it is a decision that, let's say, a girlfriend of mine has reached on her own, it's quite different than a husband arriving home and being like, I've met a great 24-year-old and we're going to be super happy and you should be happy for us. That's a very (laughs) different situation. Like, I don't know that I could. Consciously uncouple. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think that the fuel underneath that makes it so hard to blank face.
2: Yeah. And then that person is going to go to therapy and they're going to process their rage and you're going to support her in processing her rage. And I mean, first of all, That's
1: not going to last. The raid? No, the (laughs) twenty-four-year-old.
2: Oh, the twenty-four-year-old. I see. Okay, that's not going to last. That's a fantasy, you know. And then what's going to happen? He's going to be like, "Oh my god, I can't believe what I just did. I was in some midlife crisis insanity. Please forgive me." And then she's like, "Mm, "Actually, I kind of processed through all of that, and the one of the conclusions that I came to is that actually this doesn't work for me anymore." Or you get into a fair recovery therapy, which is a very specific kind of therapy where you work with a therapist who specializes in infidelity. And there are ways to do it. You know, there's a great process of it, but it takes a lot and it takes both people. And often what I see is the person who had the affair is like, what? It's fine. It's over. Why do you keep living in the past? Why do you keep bringing that up? I told you it's over. Six months ago. Yeah. Yeah. The person who was wronged is the person who gets to say how much recovery is needed.
0: I have seen situations where it wasn't a fling. Like that person's in your life forever. You've got to sit at a high school graduation. That's right. With the woman who your husband left you for. Like it stings 15 years, 25 years in. It's still not easy.
1: Let's talk about like how we can make it go better, understanding that it isn't always a beautiful conscious uncoupling. Sometimes you're sitting right next to this person you really despise.
2: Conscious uncoupling isn't, again, it's not for you. It's for your kids. Right. I, I hate them all you want. <laughs> Good point. <Okay. laughs> right. Be the grown up in front of your kids.
0: Rage and scream all you want in your therapist's office and with your girlfriends. You don't have to like them at all. I've said to my kids a million times, doesn't matter how you feel. It matters how you act. You're never going to feel like, oh, I'm so glad to see Linda, the lady who my husband left me for. Never.
2: Although I have had clients who have ended up having conversations with the affair partner and been like, she's really lovely. Mm. I can't hate her anymore. What I remind women in particular is she doesn't have any vows to you and you don't know what Lies he was spewing about you and your marriage to her. People want to call her all sorts of names. Right. She's not the problem. She's a woman who's probably been lied to just as much as you have been. He's the one with the vows to you. He's the problem. But in terms of conscious uncoupling, protect yourself. You do not have to be friends with your ex. You don't have to be friends with someone who has hurt you terribly, if at all possible. I want you to be able to sit together at a school function so that your kids don't feel like, oh, God, who do I? And again, this is not for you. This is so your children don't have to look in the audience and choose who they're looking at. It's so your children don't, when the curtain comes down, don't stress about which parent they run to first. You never want your children to have
1: to feel that they have to choose between you two. I can think of one relationship I know of a friend where part of the reason they got divorced was the spouse was very emotionally and literally uninvolved. Uh huh. Sure. And this person's distance was sort of the reason for the split. And of course, after the divorce, once this co-parent was all of a sudden responsible for the two-year-old in full. I think it was, you know, 48 hours a week, but in full, many of the reasons they got divorced, at least as it pertained to the child, were magically resolved by this person having to do it by themselves. And it improved the relationship. That's right. Because it's like, oh, you became the parent. I always was mad you weren't. That's right.
2: I see it all the time.
1: It's possible only if
2: we don't Like dive in there and try. So when I got divorced, I had been a stay at home mom for a while when it was like the first birthday party that was on his time. You know, he loves to pretend he's completely inept. Right. And he's like, I don't know what to get them. I don't know. Right. Actually, this was our mutual friend's birthday, (laughs) our mutual friend's kid's birthday. And I was like, I'm sure you'll figure it out. The end, right? You should probably text the mom or the dad and ask what the kid likes and then go to Target. I am sure you'll figure it out. What I, my instinct was to be like, okay, let me go to Target. I know what the kid likes. I'll get the thing. I'll wrap it. I'll I'll bring it over. And I know a lot of moms who do that. Don't do it. We have to not do things for them. And by the way, this is probably like true of marriages
0: as well, right? That's right. Right. Even when you're married, you should probably not be running to Target or coming home from your business trip because your husband can't figure out how to get a gift for a birthday party or braid your kids hair.
2: You should not be doing that. I remember when my son was one and I was going away for a conference for the weekend and I was talking to a friend of mine, a dad, and he at the time had three kids. No, he only had two twin boys, but they were like, you know, 18 months old or something at the time. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to go grocery shopping I have to make sure that there's dinner in the fridge and blah, 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 blah. And he looked at me and he goes, I don't know. I'm of the mind that you should only have as many kids as you can handle on your own. If he can't cook his own dinners and like go grocery shopping for himself, for his one ch- one year old, then like what <laughs> business does he have having a
0: dad? I was like, oh, point taken. Okay. All right. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to focus on kids, kids and nothing but kids.
1: Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to
0: Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's her dot and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread.
3: Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time add more joy to your life? And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter free.
0: All right. So we're divorced. Now let's talk about how we're doing this with the kids. What are the pitfalls that you see? What are the things that go wrong for? kids in divorce
2: putting them in the middle of anything mm. you know and it's hard right sometimes like sometimes people behave really badly and you want to throw them under the bus you know i think one of the things that i've struggled with really as my son has certainly as he's gotten older my son will start to ask me very pointed and very astute questions about things that may have happened in my marriage or things that are happening in the other household right now and I'm not going to gaslight my kid. I can't say everything that you're experiencing and what what you're talking about is, no, what are you talking about? Your dad's perfect. He's great. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. But also, I don't want to throw his dad under the bus. So there's a really delicate balance that can be really difficult and really tricky. The most important thing you can do is validate your children's experience and then maybe give them tools. You know, listen, you were married to this person. You probably know better than anyone how to deal with him, right? So I've said to my son, yeah, you know, I know it can be hard to have those kinds of conversations with dad. The way that. I've been able to have those conversations with him is if I start off by saying blah, blah, blah. So like just giving them tools and listen, that's a great life skill, right?
0: And it's much more useful than I think the advice that we hear a lot. You never say anything bad about the other parent because right. I know people whose exes struggle with addiction or are really that's right. not great people. And the idea that like you are gonna create a fairy tale of this person, I've seen that bite people later on. Like it's the worst. And then they have to sit down at some point, I'd be like, this person is in the throes of an addiction and they cannot function as a parent. It's like, you're not saying something bad about them. You're just right. not making up a fa- false reality for your... That's an interesting line that I feel like people don't talk about that much.
2: I think it's really important. You know, look, if they're little and there's certainly if there's addiction, you can talk about it like a disease. You know, they're sick. They're not capable right now of showing up to be the best mom or dad that they want to be because they're sick. And, you know, things like that. Right. The whole idea of never say anything negative about it's like, what is negative? Right. What is negative? Is reality negative or is it actually validating?
1: What if you're in a situation where your ex, let's say you had a uncoupling that was maybe not mutually wanted. Your ex spouse is now saying things to your kids about what a bad person you are. Yeah. And then they're coming home and maybe you're hearing about it and maybe you're just sort of picking up on it. But. The other spouse is bad mouthing you. How does somebody handle that?
2: You get your kid into therapy immediately, uh. and you have the therapist explain to the other parent what they're doing is really damaging. It can't come from you. That's, I mean, the bottom line is it can't come from you because you're the problem. So it has to come from a neutral third party. And I don't care if your kid's two or 16. They need to be in therapy with someone who can help them process that and then also have the appropriate conversations with the parents because that's what you do when your kids in therapy is that you'll have these conversations with the therapist. Clients will say, he thinks that it's important that we tell the children the truth about our divorce. So let's say I had the affair, which I didn't. But let's say I did. My husband is like, our kids need to know that you're doing this. That this is your decision. I was like, well, where does the truth end? Okay, so we're going to tell them they had the affair. Do you want to talk about the fact that you emotionally and physically neglected me for the last five years? Should we include that truth? We don't tell kids the truth about a lot of things right. <laughs> for very good reason. <laughs> Kevin knows mostly because they're not developmentally able to process that kind of information. It's not appropriate developmentally for them to have that information. I think a therapist would say this better to the other person, but children think of themselves as one half of mom and one half of dad. That is how their brains work. And so if you're saying to a child, your dad is awful or your mom is awful,
0: you're saying half of you is awful. And that's not okay. That's not okay. And that's how kids perceive the world. Everything is or just a direct reflection of them. They don't have, That's right. they can't understand it. Let's talk a little bit about households where you are practicing extremely different values. One household, you know, where, oh, mom's so uptight. It's fine if you go out. It's fine. And you're trying to raise a specific kind of kid. And your mm-hmm. co-parent, your ex, is undermining everything you're trying to do by saying like, oh, mom, she's so uptight. Lame. I think there are varying degrees of
2: this, right? If it's like they're allowed to have more sugar at one house, then their house, their rules, like you don't get to control what happens in the other house. However, if it's like potty training or pacifier weaning, that has to be consistent. I mean, it literally has to be, right? Your kids just don't, they don't get it. Those are things that should be in a parenting plan, you know, and there are a lot of things about parenting plans that we don't mm, think about until you're like up against it. But there are a lot of great templates out there that will help with those sorts of things but it is important so you know i've also had in terms of values right so like whether they eat sugar or not whether they eat pizza or stay up late inconsistent bedtimes ideally of course you're on the same page with that however if you have inconsistent bedtimes and the kids are like really tired at school and the teacher's call you say you know what it would be really really helpful if you called their dad to talk to them about this because we're having this problem but i've had clients that like their fathers are racist Right. And or homophobic and are saying like really like scary and inappropriate things to their kids that are really out of line with their values. And that's part of why they got divorced to begin with. And so that's an appropriate thing to have a conversation with a child about and say, listen, your dad and I disagree on these things fundamentally. I think it's important for you to understand the other side of this. I'm not telling you what you have to believe or to choose anything, but I want you to know that there's another side to this and always put it back. Well, I don't know. What do you think? (laughs) You know, what do you think in your heart about this is always a good one.
1: Let's talk about dating. Post-divorce, of course, that's also extremely complicated. If kids are in the picture, if you've walked away like Angela Bassett, then you know I need not know. I'm an unfriendly on Facebook, and don't nobody tell me. But if kids are involved, I want to hear from you how you think how and when we sort of start it, when we introduce the new person to the kids. Yep. How do we do that stuff?
2: Oh, great questions. First of all, I want to make sure that we're really clear that there's a difference between dating and getting into a relationship, Mm. and. People like me don't really tend to know the difference. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> you know, we went on a date, we're in a relationship. And I've had to learn over the years that that's not the case, right? If you want to start dating right away, I think it's a great idea as long as you're really clear that you are nowhere near ready to get into a relationship. My therapist told me, I've had two therapists tell me that you can consider yourself, both of them separately separately. 10 years, decades apart, have used these exact words. You can consider yourself certifiably insane Uh (laughs) for the first year and a half after you get divorced. And I'm here to tell you that it is 100% true. So any decision, any choice that you think like, oh my God, he's the one, he's everything, like, mm-mm, he's not, enjoy it. Enjoy the process, enjoy dating, enjoy getting into, you know, maybe two, three month relationships, whatever. You're gonna learn a lot. My best advice is to keep your focus on yourself, take your own temperature. I know I was the kind of person who was so just desperate mm. to be loved, to be honest. I was so desperate for someone to choose me after the marriage that I had been in. And that was perfectly appropriate, but it wasn't healthy. So that process is, you know, takes a while. And so go ahead, date, have fun. If and when you finally meet someone and you're like, oh, this is a real thing and it feels appropriate, you know, look, I don't think you can make a decision about whether you're going to marry someone or spend the rest of your life with someone until you have been through like a full cycle of seasons with them. So that's like a year, right? You've kind of gone through everything. I don't necessarily think that you shouldn't introduce kids to someone until you've been with them for a year, because I don't think that's real life. You know, after maybe like six months, you can start having them come around as friends. You can, you know, meet at the park. They can come for dinner. Because also, look, I don't think you can make a decision about someone about whether you actually want to be with that person until they have seen you with your children My kid is not like a sidecar. Like he's part of the package. So if you're going to choose me, you're going to choose my son as well because he's part of it. If I'm going to choose you, I'm also choosing you and how you interact in my family. I've had clients who have therapists who are like, no, 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 no. You shouldn't meet the kids until you're engaged. And I was like, would you accept a marriage proposal from someone who had never met your children and who you had never seen interact with your children?
0: Yeah, it's bonkers.
2: <laughs> like, it's bonkers. So there's a balance. There's definitely a balance, right? Give yourself that year and a half of... Insanity before you make any big decisions and then give yourself the time to really get to know someone
0: I want to put in people's path because you are 13 years removed from this and I feel like you have a very smart thoughtful perspective on it. But now let's talk briefly to the person who's six months into it and is still fantasizing about burning down their ex's house all night, you know, like they are just deep in their feelings. And I will never take any of this advice. I will always stroke this orb of hatred for him and the horrible girlfriend, whatever it is, you know, for some people, it may feel like a far bridge to where you are. Sure. Absolutely. So what do you say to the person who's like, nope, I'm full Angela Bassett mode all the time? Hashtag stay mad. I want to stay mad.
2: Well, first of all, I want to say like your feelings are probably really valid. They're really valid. You should have them. You should absolutely have them. And you should have them in appropriate places and in appropriate ways. Right. So in therapy with a coach, go to a rage room. That's like one of my fantasies. If we ever get out of this pandemic is, you know, when I do a retreat, we're going to a rage room.
0: Yeah, we're going. We're definitely going to a rage room. (laughs) Right. Yes.
2: Those feelings are absolutely valid. And then listen, we're parents. And so at the end of the day, we got to be parents. And we got to be grown-ups and we got to, you know, pull up
0: our pants and, you know, <laughs> straighten our hair and be a mom. Yeah. And that's part of the deal. And it gets better. That's the thing. I've known Kate for a really long time. It does get better, and uh, I've seen your journey and so many journeys of my friends. And and like with little kids, all you can say is it really does get better. Absolutely. And listen, I still walk around with like a
2: little nugget of rage. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, a nugget like, of rage.
2: I can't lie. Like I'm not going to lie about it. And the other thing I want to just say quickly is that I don't think you ever have to forgive anyone for anything. Forgiveness is different from resentment. You don't want to carry around an active resentment against someone for the rest of your life because that hurts you, right? A resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. But you also don't have to forgive unforgivable behavior. I will never forgive my ex for some of the things that he did to me. So I'm able to have a relationship with him that just sort of sets that aside, you know, and that's kind of part of being a grown up. That's kind of what this is. And it sucks.
1: <laughs> right? Adulting sucks. We've been talking to Kate Anthony. She's the host of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, and her coaching program is called Should I Stay or Should I Go? Kate, tell us where we can find the coaching program and your podcast, everything. Everything's on my website, which is kateanthony.com. I have an amazing Facebook
2: group. For those of you who are in the middle of the rage or and or trying to decide whether to stay or go, my Facebook group is Should I Stay or Should I Go? You can search on Facebook for that. I'm on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. And anywhere and everywhere you listen to
1: podcasts, I am The Divorce Survival Guide podcast. This was such a fascinating conversation.
0: Kate, thanks so much. Excellent conversation. It was so great talking to you. Thank you, guys. And good. Good. Good luck with everything, and thanks for talking to us. Thank you.